Hello. We're pleased you've been able to tune in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Welcome to the program. What's the other thing we learned from this passage? Such were some of you. And God changed you. God transformed you. And the one who comes in confused about their identity, confused about their gender, confused about their sexuality. The world says that's it. It's set in stone. It's written in granite. You can't ever change. And the gospel says, yes, you can. We've done it before. The Holy Spirit can do it again. That's what we learn. Just because someone is the way they are right now doesn't mean they'll be like that forever. When you throw a bunch of people together, even together in a church, what you have is a whole lot of humanity and all that goes with that. There is the coming together of varying lifestyle choices, character traits, personalities, worldviews, and on it goes. A melting pot, if you like, and one that is ripe for conflict. Tonight, Dr. Corbett continues a series of messages looking directly at the Apostle Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, where we explore how conflict should be handled within the church. Let's join him now for part six of the Corinthian series, Courting Problems. Last Sunday was our Thanksgiving Sunday. What a great day it was. And we had just a wonderful time with Pastor Phil Hills. Got him out of Tasmania alive. <laughs> Oh, man. And we received um, a gr great initiative from uh, Donna who, who invited people to put little Thanksgiving uh, tickets. And I just want to share some of these with you that came out. Let's have a look. Uh, this, this one's actually got a name on it, so I won't read the name, but uh, it's a, a lady who says, I'm thankful for an amazing church. Isn't that nice? I'm, this one says, I'm thankful for my church family. Oh, that's nice too. And it's got a love heart, so I'm guessing that's a girl as well. <laughs> this one's got three love hearts. This is definitely a girl. Unless you, you weren't here, Ronnie, so I, I would have. I'm thankful that God has given me a wonderful family. That's nice. I'm thankful, this one says, for providing great leaders over the many years. They must be talking about Tony. <laughs> Thankful for my church, family, and raspberries. <laughs> and this one says, Thankful for my youth leaders, especially Alex and my friends. Yeah. Isn't that nice? I carry a little newspaper clipping around just to remind me what the Bible's all about. And it's really small. It's not much bigger than a postage stamp. And, it, and this is the heading. Bible winner shot through. Dadeville, Alabama. A man who lost an early morning Bible quoting contest killed the man who beat him, police said. Gable Taylor, 38, was shot once in the face and died. You see, the thing is, this guy who did that lost a Bible-quoting competition. There's a real disconnect, I think, in that guy's soul between being able to quote a Bible verse and live out the gospel. And that's why I carry that around, to remind me that what we're looking at when we look at God's Word is not just about head knowledge. It's not just about what you... No, so that maybe you can win a Bible quiz quoting competition, which we will never do now because I don't want to. <laughs> 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 so, 
So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please turn to 1 Corinthians. We're going to be looking at, I can almost guarantee you, the one passage of Scripture that no one else in Australia will be preaching on. And that's from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So in a moment we're going to pray, but I want to explain to you what we're doing because we are going through Paul's epistles to the Corinthians. And there is a reason why we're doing this. And I want to give you some of those reasons now. And, and that is that the, the letters, Paul's epistles to the Corinthians, we, we have two of them. Uh, possibly the third one is incorporated into the second one. And when we get into 2 Corinthians, I'll, I'll explain that. But Paul in 1 Corinthians refers to in my previous letter he says in my previous letter so we know that Paul Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians was was at least his second letter that he wrote to them and we don't have the first one which tells us something about how God inspired scripture just because you were an apostle and you wrote something that didn't make it scripture God selected, God by the power of the Holy Spirit selected things that certain people wrote, not all of them were apostles, to be his word. His word. And the Bible is something that for the believer becomes your food. And I want to encourage you to do what you can to daily feed your soul by doing something with God's word. And that includes this. Approach it prayerfully with a very simple prayer. I'll teach you that prayer. God, speak to me now. If you want to make it fancy, it goes like this. God, speak to me now as I read your word. Because I know you're, some of you are in a hurry. Secondly, you don't have to read 20 chapters a day. In fact, I would encourage you to thoughtfully read whatever you can. And if you can make it a chapter, it makes it a nice sort of thing. If you can at least do that. And if you could start your day doing that, I think you'll start your day well. And then as you read that, the questions that you should be asking is what, what did this mean to the original recipients? Sometimes we jump straight to the, what does it mean to me? Now, there are people who are sort of born after 2000, and you're called the millennials. And this is going to come as a shock to you. And I just preface this by saying, the Bible does not say you have to like me. It commands you to love me. Because what I'm about to say might challenge that. And here it is. The Bible is not written to us, but it is written for us. And here's the thought. Not everything that happens in the world is about you. Now, I know that TikTok says otherwise. I know that Instagram says otherwise. I know that Facebook says otherwise, but... When you begin to read God's word, you see that God has a heart for all people and he has a grand plan. This week, someone wrote a comment on one of my pastor's desks that I wrote 
quite a while ago called Why Satan Really, Really, Really Hates Women and Why God Really, Really, Really Loves Women. And he has a heart, especially for women. After all, when he created the woman, it was the crown of his creation. It's the last thing he created. He has not created another atom or molecule or neutron since creating woman. So we know God has a special, a special place in his heart for women. And so... When you begin to read God's word, you see that God has a heart for all people and he has a grand plan. And what this person wrote in this comment was, I cannot see how this world is going anywhere according to anyone's plan, let alone God's. And uh, some, at some stage when I get a moment, I'm going to respond to that comment and point out why they may be missing some things. But as you read the Bible, you begin to see it is God's story of his love for the world that he's made. And we call that the plan of redemption. And according to the, the closing book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21, 5, talking about what Christ has done on the cross, we have this declaration by, by God. Behold, I am making all things new. That's not to happen in years and years and years to come. He says, I'm doing it now. I'm making all things new. And I think we need to get onto that page. And that's why I want to encourage you to start your day by reading your Bible. Start with a prayer. God, speak to me now with what I read. Read it. Ask that question. I wonder what this meant to the original readers. And then you might want to close with a prayer. God, help me to apply the principles that I've just read about here. Amen. And then get about your day and see what happens. That'd be my hope. That's kind of what we're going to do now. We're going to look at God's word. We're going to ask the question, what did it mean? That takes a bit of homework and it takes a bit of homework because we are some 2,000 years separated from the events that caused this to be written. So we have to do a bit of homework here. And then we have to thoughtfully and prayerfully consider how does it apply today? What is it that we can take from this text that we can learn from for today? And that's what we're going to do. So join me in prayer. Father, I pray for those who are joining with us online, at home, or wherever they might be, for Phil, who is not too well. We pray, Lord, your continued healing grace beyond him and through him. Lord, as he recuperates from influenza, I pray. Lord, bring strength to him. Father, for others who are joining with us online, I think of my mum who's watching now in uh, Geelong. Speak to her through your word. For others who are joining with us, we think of Lynn and Gladys who are watching just a few kilometres away from here, yet can't be with us today. Speak to them. For Joan and Austin, we pray, Lord, that you would speak to them. We particularly think of Austin now with the biopsy that he's had, and we pray, Lord, that you would strengthen him Father, I think of Terry and Carol Boyle who are watching right now from the Gold Coast in Queensland. We pray that you would speak to them as well. Father, for others who are joining with us around this city, around this state, around this nation, speak to them. And Father, for those 
who are blessed and privileged to be gathered here today with brothers and sisters, speak to them. May your word resound in their hearts and minds, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, some of you may, may have seen the promo for today. It's called Courting Problems. And you may think, oh, I've got some courting problems. I can't get a girlfriend or a boyfriend. I'm, I think I might need to hear this. Well, boy, are you going to be disappointed because it's not that kind of courting problems. Although I'm acknowledging that some of you may actually have courting problems. Um, but in this instance, what we're going to be looking at is something associated with that language that may not be what you thought it was going to be. We had looked in our previous Sunday night service, uh, the, the section just before this, 1 Corinthians 5, and I want to just briefly give you a little bit of background from that chapter because if you, as I have done, take a red pen and underline words in 1 Corinthians 5, particularly the word judge or judgment, you'll see that that word repeatedly is used by Paul. And one of the things that we, we need to understand is that this church at Corinth, it, it had some huge internal problems. In other words, disunity. There was factions within the church. There was fights within the church. It's an ugly thing to walk into a church that's having a fight. Especially when you know there's something wrong and you walk in and you just sense it but it's not immediately obvious, but you know there's something wrong because people aren't talking to each other and there's, there's tension. You just feel the tension. Well, this was ramped up in the Corinthian church where Paul says that some said they follow him, some said they followed this other preacher by the name of Apollos. Some claimed that they followed Cephas, that is the, uh, Peter, the apostle, and others claimed to have their own favourite preacher. So this is one of the internal problems, disunity. They were at each other. Added to this, there was sexual immorality in the church. And Paul says, of a kind, he says in chapter 5, that the world wouldn't even tolerate. In fact, the sexual immorality that, that was occurring in the Corinthian church had caused the, the greater Corinthian community to think that the Corinthian church was, were far worse sinners than they were, which is saying something because they were really bad sinners. And so it had brought great disgrace to the church and to the name of Christ. At the root of these problems, which all began after Paul had been in Corinth for 18 months, he left to go to Ephesus over the Adriatic Sea. And when he left, it all went south. Problems, problems, problems. And these things, I think Paul would have expected that the local church leadership, and we, we have the names of two of them, and we, that's all we have. We, we don't generally know who all the leaders were, but we know that there was Stephanus and we know that there was Chloe. And the root of the problem in Corinth was just a lack of decisive and strong local leadership. That's the problem. Maybe they were afraid to tackle the problems because they didn't want to offend someone. They didn't want to take sides. Maybe they didn't want to deal with the problems because people might leave the church. And Paul 
has told them already in chapter 5 that local church leaders need, must make judgment calls. Now, if we said that today, that, it, that the problem with the church is that it just doesn't judge enough, it would sound like we're, we're judgmental in the sense of, and in fact, I need to explain these terms because the Apostle Paul has referred to in chapter 5, he's referred to at least three types of judgment. One of them is what he expects the church to do, especially the leaders of the church to do, and the other two, they're different. So let me explain these words. When, when does it become necessary for a church to exercise judgment on a fellow believer? Because this sounds like foreign language to us. But this is what Paul is saying, that it does at times become necessary to exercise judgment of another person, particularly a believer. So here's the three types of judgment. We see Christ referring to this one in the Beatitudes in the Gospel of Matthew when he says, judge not that you, unless, lest you be judged. And that type of judgment is what we call judgmentalism. Judgmentalism is a, a, a condemning of another person beyond any hope of redemption, beyond any hope of forgiveness, beyond any second chance you might afford them. Judgmentalism is a condemning thing. That's what Christ said, don't do that lest you experience that yourself. Judge not lest you be judged. But there are another two types of judgment. The other type of judgment that the Apostle Paul has said should have been happening is this, accountable judgment. That's where it considers another person's actions or attitudes and says that they need correcting. Hopefully you'll notice that type of judgment is also what parents need to do for their children. Otherwise, if you don't do that, you're not parenting. Or, sorry, I've used the word parenting. I should have used the word fathering and mothering because those two things work together. The other type of judgment, which is referred to in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 13, is the type of judgment that is exclusively God's. It determines whether someone is going to spend eternity with him or whether, based on their decisions, their actions, their choices, whether they will be separated from God for eternity. That is eternal judgment. It's exclusively a divine prerogative. That's a fancy way of saying it's only something God can do. And it's based on a person's acceptance or rejection of Christ. So the worst sin anyone can, com can commit is not sexual sin, it's not lying, it's not, it's, it's, it's not uh, anything like that. It's actually to reject Christ. And at the root of that sin is pride. Pride is at the root of that sin. And so the person who is proud will often be extremely reluctant to admit that they need forgiveness from God. And therefore, if you don't admit it, you can't actually receive it because God is offering it. Church leaders, especially the eldership, biblical word, have a duty to hold believers to account, especially its members. 
and even more especially, its leaders, its fellow leaders. This is something that Paul talks quite a bit about uh, relatively in, in his epistles. So, with that in mind, we now come into chapter 6. He's essentially scolded the leaders that were there for not exercising judgment to resolve some of the disputes that had been happening in the Corinthian church. So now we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 1. When one of you has a grievance against another. What? I thought this was church. We all love each other, right? We never get offended. We never get hurt. We just... It's gone quiet. <laughs> when one of you has a grievance, what does that tell us about church? We're human. We're human. People say things maybe intentionally, maybe unintentionally, maybe, maybe not thinking, and we get hurt. When one of you has a grievance against another... Does he dare to go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? You see, here Paul's saying there is a place where the church should be able to hold each member to account. That's called judgment. How about this one? One of the, one of the things the false teachers were doing were, were claiming that they had special knowledge they, they knew far more than the Apostle Paul. Paul really hadn't come into the full revelation. He wasn't really illumined like we are. <laughs> Notice how Paul subtly just <laughs> says in verse 2, do you not know? Do you not know this? In fact, he's going to say that a couple of times. Do you not know? What's he saying about these false teachers? You reckon you know everything, but you don't know this. Do you not know? Mind you, the first time I read this, I thought, actually, no, I didn't know that at all. This is what he says. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Is there anyone here who didn't know that? Yeah, there's quite a few. There's me and a few others. Oh, I didn't know that. This is new information, isn't it? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? If we had time, we would really unpack this and see that when you become a Christian, the Spirit of God comes into you. He takes out your heart of stone. He makes you aware of your sinfulness and your need for God's forgiveness. That's, a, that's, that's what happens. It's not that you become perfect. It's that you become acutely aware you're not that's what it means to be a Christian. And therefore, you're, you're very open to being forgiven by God because there's no other option. There's no other way to find forgiveness and cleansing for your soul than, than to accept God's offer of forgiveness. But that's not the end of the story. And I've heard, I've, I've heard people describe becoming a Christian if it's an event and that's it. <laughs> sign the decision card, I gave my life to Christ on such and such a date, sign it, done. Now I get on with the rest of my life. That is not the Christian story. The Christian story is one 
in which God now wants to transform us into the image of his son. Romans 8.28 says, We know that all things work together for good to those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Next verse. To be transformed into the image of his son. That's the purpose. And so the Christian life is one where you will be transformed until the day you breathe your last breath and experience your last heartbeat and your last brainwave. And that could take a while, depending on our level of cooperation and surrender. That's why I think daily Bible reading is important because it helps us to be in that heart to be surrendered to him. And then we will be resurrected and then we will receive a new nature. First Peter chapter 1 says we will receive, we will be partakers in the divine nature. Wow, man, oh man. We will never be able to sin again. We will never feel grief or guilt or condemnation. We will, there will never be the possibility of crying in sadness. And we will be seated on thrones. And we will judge we will judge as we'll see in a moment a set of beings that god has created do you not know there is again that we are to judge angels what the where where did that come from because that's what awaits us because there were a category of angels from whom some of them disobeyed god they led mankind into various sins, one of whom is referred to as the devil, Diabolos. And so, we one day will judge these beings. By the way, Paul mentions angels to the Corinthians more than any other of his epistles. The Corinthians seem to have a fascination with angels in the spiritual realm as will become obvious as we go through. How much more then, since we will be one day judging angels, heavenly beings is probably a, a better way of thinking it, how much more then matters pertaining to this life, which in the scheme of things should be relatively trivial compared to the weighty matters that we will one day be used by God to do. So, if you have such cases, trivial cases, Two people, brothers, have, who have a grievance against each other. Why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church, such as the court? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? Hmm... To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you, he says. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? I remember hearing as a teenager sitting in Life Centre Geelong where I heard a visiting pastor say this, You can be wronged and surrender your rights and live. 
You can be wronged and die for your rights. Choice is yours, live or die. And I, it's one of those things that I've, like, that was years ago, and I've never forgotten it. You can, you can forgive and live or be bitter and die. And that's what Paul's saying. Wouldn't it have been better? He offended you, just forgive. So what's going on? What is Paul talking about? This is what we know. Within the Corinthian church, there was one brother who had lent money to another brother in the church, another member. And the one he'd lent that money to didn't repay him. In fact, it seems he had no intention of repaying him. And it must have been a relatively sizable amount of money to cause all this rancor in the church. What do you call it when someone does that to another person? It's defrauding. It's swindling. The lender had been swindled by the borrower and both men were in the same church. Wouldn't that have been an interesting Sunday morning worship service? They're going to court against each other. Now here's what we we need to understand about sin. It is our worst enemy. Not the devil, not Satan, not, certainly not demons. Sin is our worst enemy. And not all sins are equally heinous. Because if they were just sin, equal, all sins are the same, um, my, my sin is... Uh, pride and and your sin is gluttony. Which ones were? Well, they're not all the same. It could be that there's there's sins of of uh, quite quite innocently sinning, um, and and not all sins are the same. Let, let me make this point though. The Bible says no matter what your sin, one sin, no matter how big, no matter how small. No matter how great or grave, that one sin will separate you from God for eternity if it's not dealt with. And how can it be dealt with? By accepting the forgiveness that only God can offer. Because only the one who has been sinned against can offer forgiveness. That's why I don't think we can ever, quote unquote, forgive ourselves. Because our sin is not against us. It's against God. Isaiah the prophet said this, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. And some people who are not Christians wonder why when they say, well, I prayed, God didn't answer, therefore I'm not going to become a Christian. Yeah, well, um, there's something you need to know about that bad theology. So how should the sin of defrauding or swindling another brother in Christ be considered. I mean, where is it on the scale of sin? Where is defrauding, cheating, swindling? Well, notice what Paul says in verse 8. But you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. It's as if Paul is saying, 
this is not right. This is not right. This is, where do we put it in the scale of sin? Where does it fit? Is it like, you know, you had one too many Tim Tams for afternoon tea one morning? That's the sin of gluttony, right? Anyone agree? No one agrees. <laughs> Thank God for that, I say, because I'd feel quite condemned if you did. Anyway, but where does the sin of swindling and defrauding fit? Well, Paul actually tells us, because he goes on and he says this, verse 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, which, by the way, the false teachers had said, grace covers all that, you can just live however you want. That's why in chapter 5, Paul's dealing with a man who is having a sexual relationship with his stepmother, which is akin to incest, not just fornication. And Paul says, uh-uh. You do that, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. You won't have a relationship with God. You will die if you die unrepentant, if you die without receiving God's forgiveness, you are in eternal peril. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. Notice that practice homosexuality. Not just battle with same-sex attraction. Nor thieves, nor the greedy... See the category of sin here? Nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor what's the last sin he mentions? Swindlers. And see the list? Now what would this have told the one who had swindled when that epistle was read out in the church? What you have done is not just wrong, not just a little bit wrong, it's really wrong. That's what you've done. Because that's the category of sin that it's in. Now, here's the great news. Paul says this, and he has, believe it or not, he has just listed the former lifestyles of each of the members of the Corinthian church. Oh, you don't believe me, I see from the expression of your face. Well, let me prove it to you. The next verse says this. And such were some of you. Ha! You get that? Such were some of you. Some of you were these. And now you're not. And that exposes the lie of the enemy. Who says, if you are this, you can never change. That's your identity. There's no way out. You were born a reviler. You were born a swindler. You were born homosexual. And now the word of God sheds light on that lie. It's not true. The power of the Holy Spirit ministering the grace of God into a sinful heart can transform that sinful heart, that heart of stone, into a heart of flesh, a heart that's renewed, a heart that can say, that's what I was once, but not now. Such were some of you. But you were, what's that word? Washed. You were sanctified, set apart. You're not that anymore. You're this. This is good news. 
You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is awesome. We want to be the kind of church where people come in with all kinds of baggage. They come in with all kinds of labels that people have put on them and tried to super glue those labels on and we want them to experience the power of God the power of the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit that can transform them into a child of God made new, not like they once were. <sighs> Thank you. That's what we want to see. We want to see people transformed. What do we learn from this part of 1 Corinthians 6? We learn that church leaders, local church leaders, have a great responsibility to settle disputes within the church. We learn that church leaders should not be bound by fear of what others think. They should do the right thing before God and be mindful of what he thinks. We should learn that when a brother is defrauded by another brother, he should never enter into such an arrangement with the, without thinking that this may go south and I'll be okay. Hmm, that's a challenge. And then secondly, if someone does enter into a, an arrangement, which I would not necessarily encourage, of a business arrangement, a loan or of sorts, it is your highest obligation to meet your commitments to repay that loan. That's it. Now, what if it's not a brother? What if it's a bank? What if it's whatever? I think there is a principle here that says, Christians, honour your commitments. And then, what's the other thing we learned from this passage? Such were some of you. And God changed you. God transformed you. And the one who comes in confused about their identity, confused about their gender, confused about their sexuality... The world says, that's it, it's set in stone, it's written in granite, you can't ever change. And the gospel says, yes, you can. We've done it before. The Holy Spirit can do it again. That's what we learn. Just because someone is the way they are right now doesn't mean they'll be like that forever. I'm going to come back after this worship song and I'm going to close in prayer and pronounce a benediction. Please stand.
And Lord, we thank you that you have bestowed and offered amazing grace. Grace to forgive. Grace to transform. Grace that sees us adopted as your sons and daughters with a destiny to rule the nations on thrones beside you. And so, Father, for those who have never accepted and received the forgiveness that you offer, and only you offer it, religion can't do it, philosophy can't do it, education, social standing can't do it, that peace of soul can only come from surrendering to you. Father, I pray that you touch those who are joining with us online now or at another time. Lord, hearing this word from your holy scriptures, that such were some of you, but you have been washed. You have been transformed and given a new identity. And Father, I thank you that we are creatures of new identity. And Lord, I pray that something would arise in the hearts of those people who long for that, who long to be forgiven, who long to be cleansed of guilt and shame, that says, I want that, I want that. Can I tell you, you are just one prayer away. You are not a million miles away from God. You are just one prayer away. A prayer that says, God, please forgive me. Come into my life and transform me. I want to be your son or your daughter and to live for you. You pray a prayer like that and I guarantee you your life will be transformed. And that's the kind of prayer I can also guarantee God will answer. And now, Lord, I pray that we, your people, will know the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. If you'd like to listen again or you've missed a program, you'll find an archive of all previous episodes on our website, findingtruthmatters.org. For tonight's program, select Corinthians Part 6 from our online store. You can also find the podcast by subscribing to Finding Truth Matters on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. As we've heard tonight, the church has a role in judging behaviour, not being judgmental and derisive, and dealing with conflict amongst believers. How freeing to know that what we were, we don't always need to be, thanks to the power of the Holy Spirit. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.